What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It is Monday as this drops, and you know what that means. It is time to get rolling. Jonathan is back on the podcast. This time we are talking about tastemakers and the need for tastemakers in B2B. I wrote an article about this last week. I'll put it in the show notes. Go check it out. But I talk about how we see an opportunity in tastemaking and how in our consumer lives we rely on tastemaking and give you a little peek behind the curtain at some of the things we're working on at The Juice. If you like what we're doing over here, hit the follow button, subscribe, do all those things. Most importantly, tell a damn marketing friend that you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Let's kick into the conversation. What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. Jonathan is back in the saddle. We had Mindy last week. I did a solo episode. You've been a gone for the from the pod for a while. How are you managing? Are you having Modern Day Marketer podcast withdrawals? How are you feeling, Jonathan? Yeah, other than crying myself to sleep every night, really everything's fine. Uh, glad to be back. Happy to be back. Mindy's incredible. I'm glad everyone got to hear uh, her perspective. There's a uh, fun game I get to play within the business whenever somebody is sharing something cool or interesting. I get to chime in, hey, they should be a podcast guest and uh, get to substitute myself out. So uh, Mindy did that with some of the work she's been doing. She's been doing incredible work and it's always fun to uh, share the microphone with other members of the Juice team. Yeah. So that's literally how it happened is there was a Slack thread and Jonathan put out a comment. uh, Mindy should be on the podcast. And I I I thought about it for a second and and there was no doubt, but I was like, the thinking was topic. And I was like, I get our inboxes are flooded with people reaching out to us and most of it sucks. And I know I got a comment from a marketing peer about outreach she had received from the juice and commented that it was so good that she shared it with her team and said, we should be doing our outreach like this. And I figured, you know what, like Mindy's making this happen. So let me unpack and try to understand how she is creating these outreach cadences that actually resonate with someone for them to open it up, read it, reply and share it with their team. And Mindy's awesome because I I know a lot of times when I I throw the uh, spotlight on our employees to be on the podcast, I get a uh, please no, no, oh no, no, thank you. Uh, And Mindy, this is exactly the personality she is like, hell yeah, let's do it. When when can we start recording? Uh, So I would guess, uh, given that energy and uh, some of her endeavors and projects she's taking on. She might become a recurring guest. She's a fun one. Yes. I I think Mindy has a spot on the pod for the foreseeable future. What I wanted to talk with you about today, Jonathan, was something that we've talked about one-on-one. I've talked about this topic with other marketers that I've worked with, and it's this idea of tastemaking. It is something, a topic that we helps streamline everything we do in our personal lives, but there's not a ton of it going on in our professional lives. So I want to talk a little bit about the opportunity of how we're thinking about it. But before we do, maybe get into some personal life examples. How does that sound? That sounds like a plan. I think uh, excited to talk about this is something you and I have been uh, discussing, kind of passing back and forth. I think we both have a lot of energy around. So let's dig in. Okay. So you might have more examples. And I literally just published a post on this uh, this morning um, as I record this. So go to the slice on, on the Juice website. I'll put a link in the show notes to go read this. But it might, the point of view that I was taking on this was the fact that there is so much, we live in this world of 
endless options of entertainment, places to travel, things to eat, and it, it's overwhelming. I can have a, a personal example of like, I was just in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago or a week ago. And it was like, I knew since I was away and I don't get much time away, I wanted to eat at a steakhouse, right? How many steakhouses are in Las Vegas? A lot. Why? Because people are spending a lot of money there. So there's types of steakhouses that I want. So I went to Yelp and I was navigating and I was looking and I found exactly the steakhouse we want wanted to go to. We went. It was awesome. It was phenomenal. You can think about these experiences through sites like Pitchfork, who helped me identify albums that I might have missed that I want to listen to, Rotten Tomatoes for movies. The list goes on and on and on. These types of tastemakers in our personal lives help streamline recommendations and save us time. And it's awesome. It cuts through the clutter. And although sometimes we like to do the discovery ourselves, it's very helpful to have that tastemaker on our right shoulder, pointing us in the right direction if we need it. So that's kind of my experience with tastemaking. I appreciate it want to know your thoughts, personal life, what you're into, what, how you view tastemaking and tastemakers, and what are the types of things do you use them for? So a little bit of personal and professional blend here. We've talked a little bit about, I think previously, I spent four years in the beer industry, uh, which was a fun four years, learned a lot, uh, but tastemaking quite literally in that space is there, there's a lot of, but I think like there's a lot of opinions, a lot of content in that space. And there was one good beer hunting, uh, is the, is the tastemaker that, um, I probably related to most there. They, they, they would, they just had really powerful storytelling, did really beautiful photography and videos, um, and had a cool community that's, you know, whether it's brewing, um, I've mentioned, I enjoy bourbon as well. Like there's a lot of that in the bourbon space as well. Just really powerful stories, tradition that are really cool. Golf, another one of my hobbies. Not all my hobbies are drinking. I swear I don't have a problem. There's a there's a really cool golfer's journal, which is kind of same thing. I, I'd even say I, I didn't realize it until I was scrolling down my notes. They look a lot like good beer hunting in terms of visually appealing. Um, and obviously some of that's personal preference, but they do long form stories. You know, there's so much content around sports and, and golf particularly, and they do really long form kind of off the beaten path taste making, you know, they find the hidden gym golf courses or the stories of, of golfers that are uh, maybe not your Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson stories. Right. And then you and I are both big sports fans. I think the one of the examples we've passed around is Grantland, which actually doesn't exist anymore. Um, R.I.P. R.I.P. Gone too soon. But I think it's the same thing, right? Like there is so much noise. You know, we can get the box scores, the updates, the 280 character t- tweets about uh, the game in real time. But there's there's some power in telling the the deeper story behind things, especially in today's world when content can be produced and shared so easily and efficiently. So the examples you shared are personal to you. And that was something that I didn't really call out, but there are in each of our personal interests, there are people curating things and there are different styles of curation and taste making that we are attracted to. I think about just in a sports card space and people I follow on Instagram and how people who I appreciate and admire and build, we've built that trust 
curate their collection and share recommendations. And that helps inspire new paths. So it's undeniable that the role of the, t- the tastemaker is critical in our professional lives. I guess here's a question for you. Like we, it becomes second nature, like these platforms are people, but like, I think like personally, we never really like put the tastemaker on a pedestal and say, thank you. Or like, look at all these things that these, these people are doing for us to make us like more entertained or uh, learn more. Why, why do you think that is? Do you think we take the tastemaker for granted and it just becomes second nature? Like, what do you think? Yeah. They're almost like a broker for us. Right. Like, and we're so focused on getting to what they're recommending or, or uh, learning more about what they're sharing or the story we're telling. We kind of, we skip over that, that relationship we have with them. I think the, the two notes I wrote down on some of the examples I gave is there's content. They, they share really great content, but there's also a community aspect to, I think, really good taste making where uh, th- there's power in, in the people that are a part of that and the other people that follow that tastemaker. But I think you're right. Like they're the, unsung hero that makes all of that happen is the individual themselves, you know, writing, curating, sharing that probably deserves a little bit more love. Why, before we get into the opportunity with the professional side, I want to know why you rely on tastemakers. Good question. I, I think to cut through the noise, right? Like there is so much noise in everything we do and that tastemaker, I trust them, which is something we've talked a lot about on this podcast is, is trust. I trust them. I've vetted them previously. You know, I've had at least one good experience to them where I keep coming back to them. I think those are, are, are critical, but I think, I think the biggest challenge is just there's paralysis by analysis, you know, the paradox of choice, all the right buzzwords of there's just too much stuff to cut through it all. And if you can find that source where they, they make it easier for you, man, that's, that's invaluable. Okay. So we're going to move over to professional life opportunity probably talk about content because that's what we're doing here and that's the business we're in. So Jonathan, this week, actually, that this will be live is speaking at the Content Strategy Collective Live, which is hosted by our friends at Market Muse. Go check them out. If you haven't heard the episode yet on Friday, we dropped an episode with Elizabeth Irvine, who's their VP of Marketing. And she plugs the conference, but the conversations around creating personalized experiences, go check that out. But Jonathan shared his deck ahead of uh, his presentation and I was looking through it and there was a slide that I had seen. I had not, I've not seen it as pretty as it looks now. So um, Jonathan, I don't know if you dusted off your uh, old design skills or what you did here, but it looks, it it looks very nice, but here's the punchline of the slide. So I'm going to read, I'm going to give you the source too, which I asked Jonathan before, because I used this in my article that I wrote. I asked him like, where does the, where did these stats come from? Before the juice was the juice, high alpha, which is this, our studio company or no, we're the studio company. Vin- high alpha. Yeah. Venture partner. <laughs> I would say accelerator model is kind of maybe the most familiar structure. I can never get that right. High alpha. They did a poll or a survey to an audience, and here are some stats for you. 60% of marketers create at least one new piece of content each day. 91% of B2B marketers use content marketing as part of their marketing strategy. 100% of the people who responded interact with at least one piece of branded content each week. 40% interact with 10 or more pieces each week. That is incredible content and how critical it is to our market in B2B. 
But I think the takeaway, the punchline is that we're in, we're in content over overload. And that's part of the reason why the juice is here and why we're looking to solve some of those issues. So I know that is something you speak to a lot and you communicate, but maybe as we're trying to set the stage for the, the conversation regarding kind of how we're thinking about taste making on the you know branded content side, like how do you absorb those statistics and how do you like to think about them? Yeah, I, I mean, content overload is, is definitely the punchline. I think, you know, you can pick apart these statistics. There's different ways to define branded content. You know, how one person thinks about 10 pieces could be different than how another person thinks about 10 pieces. But but the point is, there's too much content. I think we can all agree on that. And I'm, I'm going to kind of maybe steal from the rest of that presentation. That's the quantitative data. I think the qualitative perspective is actually the next slide of that presentation. That is a quote from uh, somebody who participated in that survey. They're a uh, author, a best-selling author and a agency president. And the quote from him on that survey was hundred percent of professionals have the same problem. That's that there's too much fucking content. And so like that, that's the, that's the like visceral reaction to those numbers that we all feel, but I mean, I'm only going to share one more slide. I don't want to give away all my punchlines, but the, the very next slide in that presentation is that like, that content overload, that's not unique to B2B marketing. There's too much music in the world. There's too many movies in the world. There's too much news in the world. The difference is there are platforms out there that curate those mediums for the people consuming them, right? That just hasn't happened in the B2B space until we've built it. And it's so interesting. Like You can go throughout your entire day and it's driven by tastemaking, right? Maybe you wake up in the morning and and you read the news from a source that you trust that is a tastemaker. You get home, you're going to put on music while you maybe cook dinner. Um, we, a uh, very personal example, I do HelloFresh, right? Like they're a tastemaker for what I eat every day, right? For dinner, which is, I mean, it's just crazy. Then, you know, how do you unwind after dinner? You're going to pull up Netflix and watch a movie from maybe a recommendation of a tastemaker. And there's that platform that's curated for you. But then you go to work you spend eight hours a day at work and there's like no curation. We put the burden back on the individual to like, you know, good luck, go good luck finding what you're looking for, which is the gap that we're now talking about and actively solving. So I don't know if you got a chance to see it yet. And I just had eyes on it. I, I search this regularly because what inevitably whenever I'm creating content, like I think about this and there was a recent update within, you know, I don't know, the last couple months of Scott Brinker's 2022, like MarTech landscape. And of course, it's just like you, every year it's like zoom out a little bit, zoom out a little bit. And the dots keep getting smaller and smaller. And I saw like, I literally had to like zoom in, like zoom in to even see like company logo. And I just had this visualization. I was just like, man, like look at all these MarTech companies now based on the stats that we were just talking about and the investment in content marketing. Let's just say 90% of these companies do content marketing. Think about the volume and think about those who produce weekly, those produce daily. Think about the volume of content. I think about myself as a, a marketer. It's like, how, how in the hell am I supposed to know, one, companies that are building content for my profile, and two, that the companies that are building content for my profile are actually creating good content that I should take the time to consume. 
And so obviously like this is a backdrop into the juice and what we're doing at the juice, but I just, I think it's insane. And I think it's insane that we're just operating in this landscape of like, everyone's just pushing out their shit all day long. No one's taking their time to actually consume it. So like, what are we doing here? You know? So I think I love your reaction to that, but I think like, that's where like the role of a tastemaker comes in and presents and provides a lot of value for people like me, for people like Jonathan, for people like you out there listening, like your role, helping navigate the landscape and the content, whether it's blog posts, podcasts, video, whatever it is, like someone needs to be sharing, like, this is what you need to be listening to watching because there's just too much content. There's too much shit going on. What do you think about that? Yeah. And another presentation I built, and this one's for uh, potential <laughs> investors. There's, I've got two slides that tell this exact story. So we are all investing in content marketing. We all believe in content marketing. By 2025, B2B CMOs are going to be spending 500 billion with a B as in boy, billion dollars on content creation, agency work, creative work, writing work, $500 billion. The next slide shows this statistic that 60 to 70% of all B2B content goes completely unused, unread, unused, undistributed. It is an internet purgatory, which is my new favorite uh, kind of visual to give. But so if you think about that $500 billion, that's 300 to $350 billion of waste uh, that is in content marketing. That's the tastemaker opportunity, right? Like how do, how do we take that 60, 70%? And based on what we're producing, there's probably always going to be a little bit of waste. I'm not going to kid ourselves, but like, how do we either the, the value of the 30 to 40% that it is being used is so valuable that we keep being okay with that waste investment. So like, how do we take that 60 and 70% and shrink it down to 20 to 30%? Who are the tastemakers? Who are the people that are going to help marketers uh, waste less and help others, content consumers, find the right content. Because like you said, everyone's just pushing out content all day long, every day. It's the content hamster wheel. And how do you help find the signal through the noise? Some of the ways that we are... So this taste-making concept is just in our DNA naturally based on our product and what we're doing. But there have been some really smart people in B2B that I've been fortunate enough to interact with and they're looking at our business and they're looking at what we're doing and the opportunity. We take a lot of things for granted and what we do, we are so in the weeds. And we've been talking a lot about just the fact that we aggregate all of this data, but we have people on the outside looking in and saying, you guys aggregate all these, all this content, you know, like, shouldn't you be like, don't you have an opportunity to be a tastemaker in this space? And it's like, huh, you know what? Like, that's interesting. So then I take a step back and be like, all right, if we're thinking about being a tastemaker, what are the things we're currently doing to help support that? And I think about one, the onboarding experience. If you're a new member, we ask specific questions to try to make sure that we understand who you are and what role you're in to make sure that we're teeing up the right content for you. That's one thing. Number two, like top five list. This is something new that we've released on the juice. You can go check it out on the app. There's a tab at the top, but each week, sales, marketing content, we are sharing the top five pieces that our community and members are engaging with. And we are probably going to be doing a bigger and better job of promoting that. And then just finally, like this podcast, like we spent two months like diving in deep and dissecting different content pieces from B2B brands and spend 20, 25 minutes talking about why we think it matters. So 
while that opportunity of tastemaking was something that like, oh, that's interesting. The more I thought about it and dug in, I was like, you know what? Like there, there might be an opportunity for us to plug in and play the role to help streamline some of this, uh, streamline some of getting the content to the right person at the right time. And it doesn't, ne- it, it will be, but it doesn't necessarily need to be coming directly from our product. Yeah. I think part of the value of tastemaking is that it doesn't scale, right? Like if taste making were scalable and easy to repeat, everybody would do a ton of it, right? But I think part of the value is that it is challenging and really difficult to do well. And that's, that's I mean, you know, a peek behind the curtain of the juice, that's a challenge we face every day. You mentioned it's like, we, we are so in the weeds, we don't probably give ourselves enough credit for it. We have aggregated and organized in a sensible way over 100,000 pieces of B2B content and that is the power of our platform. But now how do we, that's still a lot of noise. Uh, now, how do we help people find the right things from that library of content? That's where we need to start infusing some of this taste making into what we do. That can be you know, partially powered by our software. I think you mentioned the top five. Uh, you know, we, Our curation engine is only going to continue to get smarter as our audience grows smarter about reading what and what people like them are reading and it's just going to get more powerful. But there's also that human element of this is just good quality content. We know it because you know it when you see it, right? Or you know it when you feel it. You and I were talking yesterday, you know, we have a, we have a score for each of those hundred thousand pieces of content that is generated by our, our software. And I was like, well, we could just explain that and it's like, well, that that doesn't really do the taste making justice because that is again just kind of like a machine generated number, which I think would be valuable, and we still might turn that external at some point. But again, I think the real value of taste making is that it doesn't scale. It's not easy. It's not something that it, you can just repeat, rinse, and do again. And and we have to figure out how to balance both the power of our software and the the power of really unscalable taste making. If you have ideas or want to look, I would love your feedback on what your expectations would be for a tastemaker in B2B. You can get at me at Indy McGrath on Twitter. You can also tweet at the Juice HQ, slide in the DMs. I'm the one who will look at it and I will respond. I'd love to hear from you. The reason we did this was because this is a topic we are just getting going talking about. I mentioned I'm creating content around it. There's probably an opportunity. There is an opportunity and you'll likely be seeing more of this coming from us. So let us know how you feel about it. Jonathan, we got to get out of here. Anything else that you want to share before we exit into the mist? I would just echo your sentiment that if there are good B2B tastemakers out there or you have ideas around it, reach out to us. Uh, We're exploring it ourselves and would love to uh, potentially collaborate or learn more from your perspective. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. I got to tell you, I am really excited about some of those observations and that conversation that I had with Jonathan and some of the things that will be happening on the other side of this. Stay tuned. Like I said, if you have any ideas, opinions, or know any good tastemakers, hit me up at Andy McGrath on Twitter. Would love to hear from you. Have a hell of a week. We will be back with more Modern Day Marketer coming at you on Friday. Take care.